0: I wonder, do you have any issues, any challenges that you're going through right now for which you're trying to find a solution? Now, those sorts of things come upon us all the time, and so I'm sure if you're not dealing with it right now, you will eventually. And I was reading this week about a restaurant that was actually experiencing some trials and problems that they were going through. A lot of restaurants have had struggles through COVID and all the rest, but this one was going through a bit of an unusual circumstance, and that is that they had a number of patrons that were coming in that were getting really lax with their children, and they'd let their children kind of wander off to other places in the restaurant and bother other restaurant diners, and they would get loud, and some of them would be screaming, and it was a real trial for the restaurant because they were losing patrons because of some of these unruly children. So they came up with a solution to their trial, to their problem. They decided that they were going to, and what they have done, and this is going on today, what they decided their solution would be is that if your children were unruly, if they screened while you were there in the restaurant, they would charge you and are charging people a disruptive child fee of ten dollars. $10. $10. How about that for a solution? For uh, I thought that's pretty incredible, I mean, to be in a place where sometimes children get loud, and so I got to thinking from now on at Pathway, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to do that at it, apparently, it's worked out pretty well for this restaurant. They've only had to assess the fee a few different times, but uh, that was their particular solution to their trial, and today we're going to be considering some trials. Now, not trials of that nature, but trials that we see that are much more significant than that. As we turn back to the book of Daniel, once again, we've been in a series here over the course of the last couple of weeks, and we come back to the book of Daniel today, and what we're going to see is some significant trial that is going on in the life of Daniel, in the life of the people who surround him, but in particular, Daniel is really walking through it today. And since this has to do with overcoming lions that we're talking about today, it seemed appropriate to me to call this taming trials. See what I did there? Taming trials. Okay, you'll Explain it to your neighbor. The place where we find this account is in Daniel chapter six. And if you haven't already, invite you to open up your Bible, your Bible app to Daniel chapter 6. And as you do so, welcome to all of you who are here present in the room with me. For those of you who are watching online, for those of you on our moon campus or in the classic venue, welcome to all of you as well. Daniel chapter 6 is where we've come in this series on our way through the whole of the book of Daniel. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with this story we're going to look at today. In fact, you're probably very familiar with it. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you're still probably familiar with this story because it's one of the best known in all of the scriptures and it sort of has made its way outside of the church and, and people kind of know about it and probably don't know all of the detail about it. But the fact of the matter is, even if you're well acquainted with the Bible, well acquainted with this story, there's a decent chance that you have missed or don't have the full explanation and understanding of all of what this chapter has to tell us. And so we're going to dig into that and see what we might be able to learn and grow through today. So by way of introduction, what I want to do is is just take a moment to rewind a little bit, to to remind you about some of the things that have happened in this book up to the point we've come to today. And then share a few of the verses as as, uh, Daniel sets the stage for what it is that he's going to say, what we can learn from here today so that's what we're going to do we're going to start out with a bit of an introduction so the book opens the book of daniel opens with nebuchadnezzar a very very powerful king of the nation of babylon he comes and he besieges the city of jerusalem in 605 bc and he starts to cart off those people those jews who are living in jerusalem off to babylon and he does this in three different waves and daniel and his three friends shadrach meshach and abednego or their hebrew names Hananiah, Mishael, and you know the other one? Azariah, that's right. They are the ones who are taken off in this first wave, and they come into the king's service, and they serve with distinction, even though it's a tremendously difficult time for them, having been relocated, and and for the people, for other Jews who are there along with them, they serve with distinction under the king's direction. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, died. He was the king. He died in 562 BC, and so he obviously is done reigning, and now a succession of kings, short-lived kings, come into the land, and they start to reign, and the last of those is a guy named Belshazzar, and last week we talked a lot about Belshazzar. He's a wicked king, He comes in, he does horrible things, and Daniel comes and interprets a handwriting that he sees on the wall, which talks about his own demise, which in fact does happen in 539 BC. And that's right at the end, obviously, of his reign, but also that is the end of the Babylonian kingdom, and we read about that right at the end of chapter five. These words, it says in verse 30, 31, That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, as Darius begins his reign, he sees fit to to set up a new structure. He sets up these, he puts up 120 satraps, they're called, or officials that come into the land to kind of rule over the people, and he sets up three administrators to oversee those satraps, and Daniel is set up to be one of those three administrators, but the king has something more that he has in mind for Daniel to do, and if you look at verse 3 of Daniel chapter 6, it says this, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And with that, all of the administrators say, oh goody, <laughs> we were looking for somebody else to rule over us. So, thank you for bringing in Daniel, this guy who's now over 80. Remember, we saw him as a teenager come in a few chapters ago. Well, now he is over 80, and the king wants to set him up, but the others don't like that at all. They're they're ticked about this, is what they are. They're very jealous, jealous that he is the guy who would be elevated. And when you get jealous, sometimes people do some kind of exotic sort of things or extreme things. A few years back, there was a story about one man who was dealing with two two jealous women. One of them was his ex-girlfriend, and she was jealous because he now had a new girlfriend. And so they happened to be together in this place, and being jealous of this new girlfriend and hoping that her ex-boyfriend still had some feelings, she jumped off of this embankment down into a river hoping that he would demonstrate that he still had affection for her by jumping in to save her. Well, it just so happened that the new girlfriend was also there, and she was jealous that he might actually jump in and save her, and so she jumped off the embankment into the river herself. And so now this guy has this dilemma. Do I save the ex-girlfriend? Do I save the new girlfriend? What do I do? Now you hear that, and I'm wondering, how many of you would say that he should jump in and save the ex-girlfriend? Let me see your hands. All right, a few of you. How many of you would say he should jump in and save the current girlfriend? Okay, a few more of you. How many of you would say he ought to leave them both there and go get a new girlfriend? (laughs) All right, I had a feeling that that's where, where most of your votes were going to go. Well, here's the way that it went. They actually jumped to jump into this river, but they didn't make it to the river. There was this whole huge spot of mud, and so they jumped into the mud. They both ended up over their waist in this mud, but it wasn't a life-threatening sort of situation. Story said that he went down, he rescued the current girlfriend, went off with her, and left the other one stuck in the mud. That's what he did, all right? jealousy can cause you to do all sorts of unique and extreme things, and that certainly is the case in what is happening here with these guys who don't like at all the fact that Daniel has been elevated. So, they hatched this plan. Verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They picked through all of his years of service. They picked through his personal life. They picked through his financial dealings and they could find no corruption. Don't you love that? I think that is fantastic. No corruption. Verse 5, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God oh, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so they come up with this plan, this idea. So they go to the king to try to trick him into making a decree that is going to work against Daniel, because it's going to have something to do with the law of his God. So they say to the king, verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed— they kind of neglect to tell him that we didn't bother consulting Daniel, but they've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that every, anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. They know that that's going to get Daniel because they know that he is so devoted to his God that he's not going to shrink back. He's not going to fail to continue to praise and to worship and to celebrate his God. They know that. So they feel that they've got him over a barrel. And they know that the king's pride will be sufficient that when they suggest, you know, nobody bows down to anybody but you, that he's going to go ahead and agree to that. And he does. And so they set up this edict. He issues the decree. Now, this creates a major trial for Daniel. He could have been thinking, this is not fair. I have come. I have served faithfully in this kingdom. This is not a land that is my own. I've come into another place. I've served with distinction, and I have given my life, and everybody and everything around here is thriving because of the work that I have done, and now this is what I get in return, and the fact is it wasn't fair, but Daniel knows a little something about going through trials. And circumstances that aren't very fair. He's been dealing with that sort of thing all through his life, all the way back to when he was taken from his homeland and brought into the Babylonian land and kingdom at the age of probably 15 or so. All the way along, he's been treated unfairly. He's been dealing with trial after trial. But through those circumstances, what has happened is that Daniel has learned and that Daniel has grown. And so all of the previous circumstances of trial that he's gone through are things that have set him up to be able to deal effectively now when he comes into this circumstance, into this trial that he's dealing with. It is all sort of built up and taught him lesson after lesson. And what we want to do today is we want to take and learn some of the lessons that he learned. We want to glean from this guy who knew so much more than most any of us will ever face in terms of the degree of trials we'll go through. And there's much for here, us to learn here. And there's a few that I want to just point out. You've got your outline there. You can fill in some of these blanks as we go if you would like. So the first thing that we learned from Daniel about taming trials is to stay true to your convictions. That's the first thing. Stay true to your convictions. Something we learned from him. It would have been very easy for Daniel to rationalize this, well, this no prayer decree. That's, been, that's only for 30 days only 30 days, and so I can just not pray for 30 days. For some of us, we wouldn't miss that at all. Daniel's like, yeah, I I don't think that that's going, I don't think that that's going to work out so well, but he could have justified that. He could have said, well, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to be sure I close the windows, and I'm going to sit back from the window so that nobody can see me. I can still pray. God will still hear, but nobody is going to see. I can handle it that way. Now, from what you've learned of Daniel's character through this book, do you think that he's going to go ahead and shrink back? No, absolutely not. There's more chance that you'll never receive another robocall in your life than there is that he's going to back down. He's not going to. He's going to press forward. Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room Where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He doesn't shrink back one bit. In fact, what he does is he uses this as an opportunity to demonstrate his own faith, his own commitment to Christ, and he moves himself forward. He walks into a situation where he knows he's being tested. And even from his own personal benefit, he says, I am standing strong, I am moving forward. And sometimes you're the only one who's going to know whether or not you're standing strong and moving forward or whether you're shrinking back. You could shrink back and nobody but you is going to know. But sometimes there are tests that we are put to when we need to demonstrate that we are all in, even if it's only us who will ever know. In fact, that's the greatest demonstration of whether or not it's all about God or whether it's all about you and the perception that you're giving toward other people where do you come down when that's the circumstance for you? Now, that's not to say that it was easy for Daniel. Quite to the contrary, even though it looks like he's as strong as ever and that he doesn't have any care in the world, he knows he's in deep weeds here. He knows that this is a problem. In fact, those who overheard him praying said that what he was praying was to God for help. Daniel could have tried to navigate the challenges on his own, but he knew that the more complete solution was available, and that was the one that came through his connection with God, and so that's what he's going to do. He's going to pray. He's going to continue to connect. He's going to continue to seek out God's guidance for where he ought to go and how he ought to respond. He He knows that he needs to turn to God. And when you face your challenge, when you walk into your trial... That's the thing that you ought to lean into and understand for yourself that when those things come that you should run to God. It should just sort of trigger something in you that says run to God. When somebody stands against you, run to God. When somebody treats you unfairly in the workplace, run to God. When somebody says some evil about you and slanders you, run to God. When a relationship is breaking down, run to God. When you need wisdom, run to God. Whatever the circumstance, that that would be our response. Stay true to your convictions as Daniel does here. Now, does that mean that the problems are going to go away because you ran to God? No. Not necessarily. They might. But it does mean that you'll be drawing nearer to God who will meet you in your need and provide the comfort and the wisdom and the perspective that you're going to need to tame your trials. And that's what will happen even in the midst of the trial. They can be tamed. Taming trials doesn't mean that they necessarily go away. In fact, for Daniel, they don't. In fact, they're just getting started. So the officials go by Daniel's house. They gather together, a group of them, to walk by. Why? So that multiple ones of them can see, so they can have the testimony of everybody. These officials walk by Daniel's house. And it just so happens to be when they knew that he would be praying according to the pattern that he demonstrated over and over again. And it just so happens as they walk by, they look up into Daniel's window, and there he is. And they're so surprised to see that that's going on. And they're so brokenhearted about that, and they just wish it wasn't the case because poor Daniel. But they know they're duty-bound to go report this to the king. And so they go, Now, before they start to report what they saw, they are sure to remind the king about the decree that he had issued, that nobody can pray to anybody. And then they give their report to the king. Verse 13, they say, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, in other words, who's a nobody, and he's not even from around here, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Of course, it's not that Daniel pays no attention to the king. Daniel's life has proven over and over and over again that he serves kings very well, that he honors kings, that he does his very best, and kings benefit because of his service. It's not that he doesn't pay attention to kings, but he does pay special attention to the king, the one and only king of heaven, That is his true and complete master, and he's the one that he's ultimately going to serve. He's going to stay true to his convictions. Now, the interesting thing is that King Darius already knows about Daniel. He already knows about his reputation. He knows about his integrity. Remember, he was going to set him up as chief over the whole land. He knows exactly who he is, and what the king starts to recognize probably is that both he and Daniel have been set up? Verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. The king cared greatly for Daniel, and so he's trying to find a loophole in the law. He probably even called in some of his legal advisors who said, now, remember, we've got your back, not your wallet. And he said that there's never going to be a fee unless we get money for you, king. But the advisors say, I'm sorry, there's nothing you can do. A decree is a decree, and you're going to have to see it through. And so the king does. And Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Verse 16 with these words, may your God, as is the king, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And with that, the lion's den is sealed, and seemingly, so is Daniel's fate. Daniel is experiencing here what the Apostle Paul would write to Timothy some 600 years later. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friends, if you live a godly, upright life, you're going to be persecuted. You would think, well, I ought to be honored. I mean, everybody ought to be happy if they see me. No, they won't be, in part because you're honoring a God that they might not follow. Maybe because your life is being lived in such a way that it's making their lives sort of look pale in comparison. But just because you're living an upright life doesn't mean that you're going to be applauded and and lifted up and lauded. Probably just the opposite. But here's Paul's advice one verse later. But it's for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. That's exactly the lesson Daniel's applying. In the face of his opposition and trial, he's staying true to his convictions. This is what this is all about about. He's not letting the pressures from other people intimidate him, which is a good word for us because we can allow that to happen, can't we? Allow the pressures that come at us from other people to intimidate us because we want to fit in. We want the people at work to to like us. We want to be a part of the in crowd, and so sometimes there are pressures that come to conform, to fit in, And so, we might cut some corners at work. We might shrink back from that which we know we should be doing. We might step back from the window and close the shutters to make sure nobody sees when we stand strong for what it is that we shrink back here and there. We conform. Daniel's not going to do that. He's not going to soften or neglect his commitment. He stays true to his convictions, regardless of what that requires of Him. And I just want to challenge you toward that end, that that would be your commitment, that regardless of what it requires of you, that you would stay true to your conviction in whatever circumstance you walk into the next time you're at work and you know that somebody is trying to pull you off in a direction or you're feeling pulled off in that direction, that you would say, no, I'm standing true, staying true to my convictions. Whatever that requires, whatever that might demand of me, whatever, wherever the chips might happen to fall, that's what I'm going to do. Daniel did, and it looks on the surface as though that's not going to work out so very well for him. But Some of you know the story. It goes on. That's the first lesson. Second key we learned from Daniel for taming trials is to stay confident in God's provision to stay confident in God's provision. Now, I know that's easy for me to say because I'm not the one who's there in the lion's den, right? But that's what Daniel says or how he lives his life. At no point in this story do we find Daniel trying to manipulate the circumstance. He doesn't stop praying. He doesn't close the windows so nobody's going to see. He doesn't try to argue against the legality or the lack of the legality of this law, this decree that's been issued. He doesn't try to talk to the king and get him to soften what it is that's actually going to happen he doesn't do any of those things he just stays true to his conviction commits to the circumstances to trust god for the results now darius for his part the king he's never seen anybody survive a night in the a night with the lions but we see him here in verse 19 it tells us that the first light of dawn the king got up and hurried to the lion's den when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the Lord God, or the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion? And to his utter amazement, verse 21, Daniel answered. Just stop right there. You don't have to go any further, do you? That's amazing. Daniel answered after a night in the den of Lions, this is awesome. Do you ever ask a question where you don't really expect a response? Hey kids, you want to have a kale salad for dinner? Right? So like nobody, no kid's going to respond positively at least to that. And Darius isn't really expecting any response out of Daniel here either. But he does. And true to form, Daniel's first words are not, get me out of here. His first words our praise to God and giving credit where credit is due. Verse 22 My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. There's nothing like a clear conscience. Then he goes on Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. <laughs> I don't know that this is him necessarily trying to take a shot at uh, the king, like, you know, uh, what did I do to you? Thanks for that night in the lion's den. I, I don't think it's that. I think it's just him giving a statement of truth. So, the overjoyed king has Daniel lifted out of the lion's den, and there wasn't a scrape on him. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't have any smell of smoke on them when they came out of the fiery furnace, Daniel doesn't have any scrape on him when he comes out of the lion's den. And that's important, because what that's trying to tell us is, you know what, Daniel didn't just barely squeak by somehow. He didn't just do a good job of darting away from the lion whenever he charged all the way through the night. No, he was fully and supernaturally delivered by God from the lion's That's what this is telling us. Just as God is capable of fully delivering you from whatever it is that you're facing today, it might not take exactly the form that you were expecting. It might not even be what you were desiring, but even so, we can be confident that God is working out his very best for us as he sees us through our trial, as he sees us through our circumstance. And with that then, the scene changes, and now all of a sudden, the attention is on these guys who set this trap for Daniel. And it turns out that the sentence that they thought that they were bringing on Daniel is actually the sentence that is now executed on them. Kind of reminds you of Haman in the Esther story, if you're familiar with, with that. And ending any speculation as to whether or not the lions just weren't hungry, and that's why Daniel was fine, it's not that. And ending any speculation that this isn't a divine deliverance that happens here, we read on, verse 24, And before they reached, these guys who now have this sentence against them, before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. God has delivered Daniel and taken care of his enemies all at the same time time. You know, if we'll follow Daniel's example in the face of our own trials, we can also look for and expect God's provision for us. It's what he does. The psalmist, David, who was one who knew a lot about going through trials himself, he wrote this, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their trouble. Sometimes that deliverance comes in short order. It's like we pray and and God delivers, and that's awesome. But sometimes it delays. Sometimes, like it does for Daniel. Daniel still has to, after he cries out, he still has to go through this night in the den of the lions. God's deliverance delayed for him, and it can for us as well. But the thing about delays, is that even in the midst of the delay, we're taught here through Daniel and through so many other circumstances that God, in the meantime, is doing something awesome, doing something that is in our own best interest, which is why James can say, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you go through trials of all kinds, because that testing of your faith will develop perseverance. It'll do something unique and something special in you that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't faced The trial in the first place. So, when it comes to taming trials, Daniel's teaching us a few things. Stay true to your conviction. Stay confident in God's provision. And one more key to taming trials is to stay focused on the deliverer. This is very important. The greatest thing that came from Daniel facing the trial is the glory of God. That's the best thing that comes out of all of this, which might surprise you just a little bit. Throughout this book, that's Ben Daniel's ultimate desire, and it's no less his desire right here. The text continues, verse 25. Just look at this, think about this. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. There's no doubt that the people here in this region, that Daniel himself, that they've come a long way in this chapter. As it opens, they have a new king. As it closes, they've got a new God. As it opens, they have a decree that nobody can worship Daniel's God. At the end, they have another decree that everybody must worship Daniel's God. Look at where this has gone. Look at where this has gone. It's awesome. The trials of Daniel's life have played an essential role in that outcome. It would be natural for us then to, to say, well, clearly the hero of the story is Daniel, and to praise him, and to lift him up and say, the outcome, the desire for us, the the thing, the takeaway would be that you need to be more like Daniel. And there is a value in that. There's certainly no doubt there would be a value in living as he lives Here. But Daniel is not the hero of this story. God is. Daniel is not the hero of this story. God is. In fact, Daniel's story, the whole book in fact, is here for a reason other than to have us celebrate Daniel or his three friends. What Daniel really ultimately is for us here is a foreshadowing of something else that comes later. Daniel is pointing us forward to something else, to someone else. I think you've probably heard of him. His name is Jesus. Daniel is a type of Christ. Daniel is one who signifies someone who is coming later. Ultimately, that's the power in the book of Daniel, Ultimately, that's the power of the whole of the Old Testament. It is pointing forward to something else. They aren't just stories in the Old Testament. They're pointing forward to Jesus because he's the hero of the whole of the Scriptures. Think about it. With Daniel, we saw the satraps and administrators conspire against him, just as with Jesus. We see him conspired against by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Daniel's political opponents couldn't find any basis for charges against him, just as Jesus' opponents couldn't find any basis for charges against him. Daniel is sentenced to death under an unjust law. So is Jesus. Darius tried to intervene on Daniel's behalf, just as Pilate tried half-heartedly to intervene on Jesus' behalf. Daniel trusted in God's sovereignty. Jesus said, not my will be done, but your will, Father, be done done. Daniel's prayer in the upper room leads to his arrest, just as Jesus was arrested during his time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Darius rolls a stone over the mouth of the pit, just as the stone is rolled over the mouth of the tomb. Daniel was saved from the pit, resulting in the praise of God, just as Jesus is raised from the pit, from the grave, to the ultimate and eternal praise of God. See some parallels? You're supposed to see some parallels. The book of Daniel is much more than a story about a fiery furnace and a lion's den and some dreams. It's about so much more than that. From the very start, it's about God, His sovereignty, and the plan that He has in store for all who put their faith and trust in Him, and that includes you, and that includes me. See, we don't have hope because there were some amazing exiles who demonstrated that you can stand strong in the midst of opposition, We have hope because there's a God who worked out his purposes in their lives just as he works out his purposes in our lives. That's where our hope comes from. Not that we can be like Daniel that we should try, but that God has us in his hands just as he had Daniel. And that should influence all of life. That should influence how you navigate circumstances and trials, how you tame trials that come your Way, whatever you might consider those trials to be. Maybe you felt that recently. I don't know if the recent election turned out the way that you wanted it to or not. Of course, it all hasn't been decided, but I don't know if it's going the direction that you want it to or not. And it's right that we would be involved. It's right that we would vote. It's right that we would be concerned. It's right that we would get connected That we would pay attention. All of that is right that we would do so, but you don't need to think that God's ability to carry out His purposes was impacted one bit whether your candidate was elected to that position or not, whether or not the Senate and the House swings in your direction or it doesn't. His ability to accomplish His purposes has not been impacted one bit whether it's worked out the way you wanted it to or not. Just as it was with Daniel, God is sovereign over rulers and over nations at all times. That'll never change. And Daniel can demonstrate that for us because Daniel served in the context, in the midst of one who is wicked, of one who is sinful. And we will always live in a context of leaders who are sinful, whether that would be in our nation, whether that would be in our church. That's going to be the case, but the fact is that God is sovereign, and God is working out His purposes. Nothing got in the way of God's purposes then, and nothing will now. Friends, you aren't going to be able to control all the circumstances of this life. Trials are going to come, There are going to be times when you're going to feel like you've been thrown to the lions. You might be feeling that right now, that's the situation that you are in. You can't control the circumstances, but you can control how you respond to them. You see here for Daniel, his joy and faithfulness weren't predicated on his situation, turning around for the better. They were predicated on his obedience and his following through and doing that which he knew was right. To do. So, as we've been saying, he stayed true to his convictions, he stayed confident in God's provision, he stayed focused on the deliverer, and as he did so, he tamed the trials and all the glory went to God. And as you live your life, that's where you ought to be focusing your attention, not in glory in your direction, but all of your life being lived for the glory of God. Our trials, you see, have a purpose. They have a purpose, a purpose for you, for your benefit. They are going to lead you to a place where if you allow them, they're going to transform you, and they're going to draw you to become, conform more to the image of Christ, as Daniel did. And ultimately, as he was drawn closer to Christ, as he stood strong in the midst of his context, what ultimately happens is that the glory of God is elevated and celebrated. That's what God has placed us in this world to do. Not to live a fun life and just enjoy it and get everything that we can for our own enjoyment, but so that we might lift up Christ. And every time you go through a trial is an opportunity to lift up Jesus. It all depends how we respond, how we march through it. I pray that we would do so as Daniel does, ultimately resulting in the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Daniel. We thank you that he is a man of integrity, a man who had convictions, and he stayed true to those convictions. And Lord, we do pray and ask that that would be something that would capture our spirit and our heart as well, that we would walk in the fullness of what You call us to do and who You call us to be, not so that we might be lifted up, not so our lives might be easy, but so that You might be lifted up. And Lord, help us to understand that every time we walk through that which might bog us down, that which might be a challenge, or a difficulty, or a trial, that these are opportunities to grow closer to you and to lift you up in the process. Lord, I pray that just as Daniel is all about you, pointing to you, that our lives would as well. Help us to recognize that it's typically through the most difficult circumstances that we have the greatest opportunity to shine a light on you. And demonstrate our love and our care and our commitment. Lord Jesus, move in us, we pray, for your glory. To that end, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.